Happy Wednesday, everybody, and welcome back to Get Your Goat. Yesterday, Steph Curry broke the three record. A great congratulations to him. I'm going to go more into that in this show. I'm also going to talk about the Suns winning in overtime last night. The Brooklyn Nets shorthanded, thinking about forfeiting the game. And they somehow still won the game last night. Break down all those games. Then looking ahead to tonight, Lakers, Mavericks, Clippers, Jazz. Then an outbreak of COVID with the Rams organization, the Browns organization. And then we are officially getting into the end game in regards to the NFL season. Four weeks left. This would usually be the quarter point. But with the extra game, this is actually less than a quarter left in the NFL season. What's going to happen in these final four weeks? Anybody going to catch Brady for the MVP? Defensive player of the year. Is it a toss-up between Micah Parsons and Miles Garrett? Then... There are two teams right now with the one seed in their respective conferences. New England, Green Bay. What are the likelihood that they both earn that number one spot? And are there any teams outside of the playoffs that can still make it? Then I will give you my top five teams in the NHL. Signing day for college footballers here. A lot of great news, especially, especially if you're a Michigan Wolverine fan. I mean, this has just been great. I can't wait to get into more into that. And then again, college basketball produces yet another upset for us. I'll finish with that. Let's get started. Steph Curry breaking the three-year record at Madison Square Garden last night. To me, he's always been the greatest shooter for quite some time now. But it's official It's in the record books. It's in writing. Stephen Curry is the three-point king of the NBA. Passing Ray Allen. Finished last night with, I think, four or five made threes to put him at 2,977 career threes. Above Ray Allen's previous record number of 2,974 after a game, Miller and Allen presented Curry, you know, with the number 2,974 on the back of the game. It was a special moment uh, right there, you know, with all three of them being there. Reggie Miller, who was the original record holder for a while. Ray Allen, who then passed him, was there. And then Steph Curry, who broke the record. So all three of them, what a game. It was for Steph, emotional moment for him, his family to do it in Madison Square Garden. I mean, that was amazing. Curry said he was happy that he got it. He was emotional. I mean, that was just greatness. And right there last night was greatness. Steph Curry, his career can be summarized by greatness. Congratulations to Steph Curry and the record I think I will never see broken. There's a lot of records, you know, I've seen broken. Uh, Last night, Ray Allen's record, LeBron James will be looking to break Kareem's record 
uh, for points. I've seen Tom Brady break almost every record in the NFL. Touchdown, completions, uh, Super Bowls. I mean, I have seen all that. I know I've seen Simone Biles' record for uh, most medals. Uh, I mean, I've seen a lot. But I do not think in my lifetime I will ever see someone break as Steph Curry's a record uh, for three. And not just this one uh, last night, but he still has more of a tank. Signed a five-year contract. I still think uh, he can be playing at an MVP level, you know, the next two years. And even if he's not playing at an MVP level, uh, you know, the final years of his career, I still expect him to make a ton of threes, shoot a ton of threes. I mean, and with that skill set, it's not like LeBron... Uh, where you have to be a physical, or it's physical on you, you're driving, you're up a rim, the way, you know, Steph has played and conditioned, you know, it is live by the three, die by the three, and James Harden, you know, is like 500 threes behind him, or something like that, he's like a year younger, two years younger, but James Harden isn't going to catch Steph Curry, uh, I know James Harden shoots at the same, but he's just not as efficient as stuff. He's not as efficient. Uh, he's kind of had a down year this year. You know, he's not, you know, as legitimate as Steph. And I don't think anyone will break Steph Curry's record. You have young guys in the NBA right now shooting a ton of threes. You have Trey Young, who's trying to be a Curry clone. You have Luka Doncic, who's actually better than him. Uh, you've got Edwards Jr., who shoots a ton of threes as well, and he's efficient, you have all those guys, but nobody does it on the level that Steph Curry does it. Nobody does it in the fashion that Steph Curry does it. That's what makes him the greatest. Uh, he has threes that will live on, you know, the stretch of time, the Saturday, you know, primetime game against the Oklahoma City Thunder, where Steve Kerr rejected a call of timeout. There was two seconds left, and Steph goes up the court, uh, shoots a three from like 40 feet away, nails it. Uh, game one, NBA Finals against the Cavs. Uh, buzzer beater three, amazing. I mean, he just has so many iconic shots that the rest just do not have. Uh, and I don't think the rest can shoot at a level that he has and has been, you know, for the past seven, eight years or so. Uh I do not think anybody in my lifetime will break uh, Stephen Curry's record for three-pointers. And I don't think any player in the NBA right now can catch it. I think a person that will break this record is someone that isn't born yet. And you look at it, you know, Reggie Miller, you know, did it, you know, in the 90s. You had Ray Allen break his record, you know, 2011. So you had like a... 15-year period, and then you had this 10-year period right here, and Steph Curry broke Ray Allen's uh, record in like 500 less games. And so again, the efficiency that Steph Curry does it with, I don't see anybody passing by this record for a long time. I think it'll be a 15, 20 years. If that, if that, if anybody comes reasonably close, but I just don't know if anyone will be able to do it. And again, I will stand by it. I don't think 
you know, when it's all said and done, this is a record that will be broken in my lifetime. Not only did Steph Curry break the record last night, but he also got the win for his team. You know, it's hard to break a record, all this emotion, and then also pull out the win because it was close there at halftime. Warriors pulled away in the third quarter, uh, held that lead in the fourth quarter. Steph Curry led the team in points, uh, 22 points. Draymond Green uh, was great again last night defensively, also hustling, playing defense on Julius uh, Randall uh, had 8 points, 11 rebounds, 7 assists. Uh, kind of the point forward for the team that has been his role, has been excellent. Julius Randle was great, 31 points. But the help around him just wasn't there uh, last night. It was sort of Julius Randle and that was it. You had Derek Rose start hot early, Alex Burks. But other than that, you didn't have a lot. Evan Fournier was cold last night. Uh, two points, one for five shooting. He's got to do better uh, than that. This was a Warriors win, solidified. Steph Curry is still the front runner for VMVP and still the best team in the NBA. That is the Golden State Warriors. So I got that pick right from last night. The other pick I got right from last night, the Suns and the Trailblazers. I was worried there for a second when the Trailblazers uh, were up in the third quarter and in the fourth quarter. I thought, wow, the Trailblazers are really going to do it. I know Devin Booker's out, but still, Portland's not a good team. But DeAndre Ayton, you know, returned back from his illness, dropped a double-double, 28 points, 13 rebounds. Chris Paul added 14 assists, you know, which beat out Damian Lillard's double-double of 31 points and 10 assists. Phoenix came back in the mid-final minutes of regulation and then went in to win in overtime, 111-107. to This was a resilient win by the Phoenix Suns. I mean, to come back, you're down. I know you have no Devin Booker, but still in the fashion, DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul, the pick and roll, uh, the chemistry there between them, you know, is just too good, and I mean, if I'm Dame, Damian Lillard in the Trailblazers, I'm just upset uh, because C.J. McCollum's been injured, not dependent, and you look at the rest of this roster, to me, it's not even a playoff caliber roster. I'm sorry, Larry Nance Jr., I saw him in his days with the Cavs, with LeBron. He was not that guy. Norman Powell, I think he's a great a uh, role player on a championship team like the he was for the Toronto Raptors. But the Trailblazers aren't a championship team. Jurkic is not that guy. Little's not that guy. Covington, Snell, Macklemore. That's why the Portland Trailblazers are 11-7 and 17. And I'm glad that Damian Lillard wants to stay loyal to Portland, to that organization. But guess what? You know what loyalty doesn't buy you? Doesn't buy you the playoffs. Yes, right now they wouldn't even be in the play-in. They are the 11th seed in one of the worst teams in the NBA. They're on a six-game losing streak. What else does loyalty don't buy you? Well, if you don't make the playoffs, obviously it does not buy you championships. He will never win a championship in Portland. And it looks like he wants to stay in Portland. So I know he says winning is very important to him. 
But he has shown by his actions that winning isn't very important to him. Because he's been on losing teams for quite a while with the Portland Trailblazers. They are not a good team. Uh, They don't have a good management system around them. I think Uh, Chauncey Billups, great coach, but statistically, they are losers. Last year, short in season, they went 42-30. and Year before that... They were 35 and 39 and still made the playoffs. You know, fourth in your division. You know, you had good years before that with LaMarcus Aldridge, but this team has been first round, second round exit consistently. Damian Lillard, you're not winning anything there. I hope loyalty gets you somewhere, but it will not get you anywhere in the NBA. What else happened in the NBA last night? Brooklyn Nets down seven people due to illness or COVID. Uh, James Harden, one of them, put on for uh, addition for the protocols last minute. Kevin Durant had an injured ankle. Didn't know if he was going to play. But if he didn't play, they would only have seven, seven eligible players, uh, which means you'd have to forfeit that game. So what does Kevin Durant do say? They're not going to forfeit. He goes out and plays on his injured ankle. And what does Kevin Durant do? Have an MVP performance. Puts up a triple-double. 34 points. 13 rebounds. 11 assists. And I know Toronto's not a very good team. They've been hurt by injuries too. But... Kevin Durant owned the Raptors last night. Wasn't even his most efficient night either. He was 2 of 8 for 3. And the Nets still beat you. Patty Mills was lethal lethal from 3. 7 of 14. I mean, almost all their players had double digits. All 5 starters. Then off the bench, uh, Edwards as well added 17. So this team was injured and still firing on all cylinders. Came back, won this game, you know... And the Raptors didn't have a bad game themselves. Fred Van Fleet, uh, Pascal Siakam were all good. But when you have an MVP caliber player in Kevin Durant, sometimes it is just too much. Last night, it was too much for the Toronto Raptors. Now looking ahead till tonight, two games I'm going to pick. One is the Los Angeles Lakers and the Dallas Mavericks. Now, this was a game I was going to pick the Dallas Mavericks because the Lakers have won two in a row, and they're 15-13. and 13. They usually win one, lose one, so I thought, you know, they've won two in a row. This is a game I think they'll lose uh, to Dallas inexplicably, even though they're playing well, but that's just who the Lakers are. They've had internal discussions about trading Russell Westbrook. How does that affect the team chemistry? We don't know. Well... Then what happened? Well, no Luka Doncic for tonight. Out with his ankle injury that has sort of plagued him the last few years, you know, missing several times uh, with an ankle injury. So I thought, uh-oh, no Luka. Now, Chris Tats Porzingis could have an otherworldly game. Tim Hardaway could heat up for three. But without Luka, I just think it's too much for Dallas to overcome since Luka leads your team in points rebounds and assists at, you know, 25, 8, and 8. 
I think Anthony Davis, who's averaging a double-double, 24 points, 10 rebounds. LeBron, healthy. I think that is too much for the Dallas Mavericks to overcome and handle. And, you know, these are still big games because I think the top three teams in the West are set. I think those are going to be Golden State, Phoenix, Utah, right there. Order could change, but I think those are the three teams. Then you have sort of really the four through eight up in the mix. You have the Lakers right there at six, Dallas there at seven. Dallas wins this, you know, they're at six, Lakers are at seven. You know, Lakers win this, Clippers possibly lose, you know, you could be up there in that spot. So there's a lot of fluctuation there. It's early in the season. Still, you know, you're around a quarter of a way done, but you still need to win games. This is one the Lakers need to win, and I think they will win tonight. Luka Doncic being out definitely helps the Lakers' chances. I am rolling with the Lakers. Next game I'm picking is the Los Angeles Clippers and the Utah Jazz. Now this is in Utah. It's a rematch of the uh, semifinals from last year. You know, haven't played there since then where Paul George, Terrence Mann, just went off and destroyed the Utah Jazz team. You know, the Utah Jazz crowd that was so electric during the playoff run. I think it'll be electric tonight is Jazz, Paul, or I mean, Paul George and Terrence Mann and all of them return there. But I think it's too much. Utah is playing, playing uh, too good. As of recently, Los Angeles Clippers, to me, are better than expected without Kawhi. I'll give props to Ty Lue, uh, to Paul George, uh, Zubak, Reggie Jackson, Terrence Mann, all of them. Uh, but Utah Jazz, right there, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, uh, Jordan Clarkson, um, those guys, that's just too much for the Los Angeles Clippers at home. And like I said, Utah Jazz, one of the best offensive uh, teams really playing in basketball or right now, if not the best and want to be better defensive teams as well. I like the Utah Jazz to win this game. Now, Browns have dealt with COVID. They are in the midst of some sort of outbreak. Baker Mayfield has tested positive. Head coach to Kevin Stefanski has tested positive. You know, who knows if he'll be able to play. If they don't turn into negative uh, tests by Saturday, you know, they have the game on Saturday. So the two tests need to be Thursday and Friday. That's the next two days. They don't turn those in. They will miss that game. Uh, they play the Raiders, you know, with the Browns. I don't know. It's like this is just a microcosm of their crazy season that they have. You know, they play the Raiders. Uh, and they could be down a lot of guys. You know, I just mentioned the coach and their quarterback. You know, you have your safety, John Johnson. You got Troy Hill, your defensive tackle. Uh, you know, you also got Jarvis Landry. Austin Hooper, this is a team that will be ravaged by COVID. You know, who will show up to play? Uh, we'll see when all these tests come back. Having the game on Saturday it doesn't help, but you've got to deal with adversity. And, you know, they've got to be better. And who knows what will happen this Saturday or who will be ready 
for them against the Las Vegas Raiders. The other team with the outbreak, the Los Angeles Rams. Sort of had the outbreak, you know, before the Monday game uh, against the Cardinals where Jalen Ramsey, Higby, Havenstein were all ruled out. Higby's was actually a false positive. Uh, so he was eligible. He was removed from a list. But then yesterday you had OBJ, Jordan Fuller, some key guys that were added there. Kind of the same situation as a Brown. So they're in intensive protocols as well. What'll happen there with them? You know, you just have a big, big emotional win against a rival in a primetime game. And here you are now out with the vid. A lot of players, who knows if they'll return or not. Uh, but are returning out by this Sunday's game against the Seahawks. If they don't, that's just a huge uh, hit to me in terms of momentum. You're playing so well, so to lose some key guys for a key stretch when we're in the end game now, that makes it tough. So like I said, we're in the end game. It's the final four weeks of the season left. What happens? Anybody catch Brady for MVP? I think there is a small, slight chance Tom Brady is a prohibitive favorite, you know, so far. 4,134 passing yards. He's going to get to 5,000. 38 total touchdowns. He'll pass 50. 10 interceptions. You know, the passing yards, touchdowns lead the NFL. 67.7 QBR. Oh, that's second in the NFL. I mean, he is... Holds, you know, leads a, a league in passing yards, completions, touchdowns. He's 44 years old. He's got his team tied for first place in the NFC with the two seed. Right now, you know, I think he's going to win his fourth MVP. He is the favorite to win it. I mean, he has just been so good uh, for this team right here. If Tom Brady is not on this team, but Bucks are not 10-3. and three. Uh, They are not in this position that they are in right now. I've seen a lot of quarterbacks this year play the game of football, and there has been a lot of inconsistencies. Tom Brady has been very consistent, so he is deserving of the MVP. But I say a slight chance, because if he has a blunder on this Sunday, this Sunday, he plays the New Orleans Saints. It's at home. Sean Payton has given him trouble, so it's a primetime game where all eyes on you, you're the only game on. I think if Tom Brady goes in there and flops like he's done regular season performances in the past against New Orleans earlier this year, twice last year, if he does a total dud, then I can see some of the people behind him catching up, and you might have a serious debate. But that debate only happens if Tom Brady falters on Sunday night football, and that's his last time to falter. Because after the Saints on Sunday, he's got the Panthers, the Jets, and the Panthers again. There's no faltering in those three games. Maybe a wacky interception or something like that. He'll be throwing three or four touchdowns on 300 plus yards each of those games. So this weekend right here is the last time for any Tampa Bay uh, falter or, you know, is it closer, is it not? That's the only time. 
It, but when I look at the contenders behind him, it's tough. Aaron Rodgers, he's missed a game, but he's still nine thousand or nine hundred yards behind Tom Brady. Even if he were to play his one extra game, he wasn't going to throw nine hundred yards. It was against the Chiefs. He probably wouldn't have thrown three hundred. So he wouldn't. He would still be around six hundred yards behind him. He's eight touchdowns below him. Again, that's less. His QBR less than Brady. Uh, down year for his QBR, where he's usually one of the tops in the league. He's at 64.9. I do not see uh, Aaron Rodgers catching him, even though he'd kind of be the next in line. Kyler Murray missed three games due to injury. I think that disqualifies him. He just had a bad primetime game. He's also 1 of 5 in his career against the Rams. 1 of 5 but earlier when this year. But the Rams have given him trouble. Oh, yeah, that's right. They have Aaron Donald, best defensive player in football. But again, even missing three games. He's around 1,400 yards behind Brady, 14 touchdowns, and he's at the same interception clip. I mean, that to me is not MVP caliber. Justin Herbert, I think, would be one kind of right there. And like I said, Tom Brady has a big swing game if he loses against the uh, Chargers. I mean, my bad, against the uh, Saints. But Justin Herbert of the Chargers has a big swing game himself where he plays the Chiefs tomorrow night. He's already beat the Chiefs, and he was great in that game earlier. But the Chiefs' defense has improved. If Justin Herbert can go out and ball against the Chiefs, that would mean not only did you beat the Chiefs, but you beat them twice in the same year, and you now hold the tiebreaker, and you are number one in the division. That is what happens if the Chiefs win tomorrow night. And if you have a good effort from Justin Herbert, who is, uh, my bad, number two in QBR. Brady's number one. I'm sorry, Tom Brady. I didn't mean to say that. But when you're only 300 yards behind them and you're a few touchdowns, I mean, that's an MVP-type moment. That's one where, hey, you could really boost your stock a lot if you win tomorrow's Thursday night game. Josh Allen just lost to Tom Brady, uh, and that proved that he is a fake. Uh, sorry, Josh Allen, I'm not buying any of your stock. You're overrated. This has not been your year. You had one great year last year. That'll be your peak year. I mean, I've gone off on Josh Allen plenty of times in my past few podcasts. I I don't need to waste my breath talking about Josh Allen anymore. Jonathan Taylor you know, had a, a dominant stretch, you know, he had a bye week, so after a bye week, everybody sort of loses an impression of you. But Jonathan Taylor, who does he play this week? Oh, he plays the New England Patriots, who have the best defense in the league. And it's a Saturday night game, it's primetime. If Jonathan Taylor can put on a show like he's done a lot this season, hey, that's another one. You could have him in again. I don't like it because if Derrick Henry wasn't in consideration last year, I don't want to hear Jonathan Taylor's name announced, that's for sure. Matthew Stafford had his three-game stretch past two games. He has looked great. Uh, Still think he can do it with some tough games on his schedule that if he plays the way he did earlier in the season or Monday night, you know, he could still, he could still, you know, sort of be right there in the Brady-esque, but still... It's Tom Brady's award to lose as of the moment. 
And I think if something happens, it's going to be because he lost it and not somebody else won it. Now, defensive player of the year, Micah Parsons or Miles Garrett. This is tough for me because Micah Parsons could get injured. I'm, I'm not wishing that to happen, but he could get injured or, you know, leave the next four games not play, and he'd still, to me, win defensive rookie of the year. However, he couldn't do that for defensive player of the year. To me, it's a race between Miles Garrett, Micah Parsons, and it's really... Who do you want? I think I'd have to give the slight edge, slight edge uh, to Micah Parsons. I know Miles Garrett has more sacks than Micah Parsons. Uh, he's a more natural uh, edge rusher. He's one of, you know, to me, the second most freakish talent on the defensive side. I put Aaron Donald at one, but I put Miles Garrett at two. He is an athletic freak is what he is. Uh, the things he can do on the defensive side of a ball are amazing. He's having a great defensive year for a defensive player. I think his name should be in consideration. However, I put Micah Parsons there because I look at how bad this defense was last year and how much more improved it is this year. And I know Trevon Diggs has improved and people have come back. But they drafted Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons, you know, broke the Cowboy sack record. And he pulled a line from endgame. You know, as we're in the endgame of a season, you know, he pulled a line from endgame. The Hulk, where the Hulk is going to put on his gauntlet and bring everybody back. And he says, you know, it's like I was made for this. That's what Dallas Cowboy linebacker Micah Parsons said after they beat the football team you know you break your cowboy record for sacks you've done so well what do you attribute that to and he said it's like I was meant for this uh pull the line straight out of endgame because of that I'll just give you the edge for saying MVP uh but no in all seriousness uh he has been tremendous as a rookie to have that sort of impact on a defense where you're one of the worst defenses, and now you're hovering around, you know, 10 this year. Uh, you're leading your team in sacks, and then also not that. You were in Penn State as a middle linebacker. You weren't an outside edge rusher, but you can do that. You can play the middle linebacker role of a QB spiral, drop down in coverage a little bit as well. Micah Parsons, uh, he can do it all. Miles Garrett can't do some of the things that Micah Parsons does. So because of that, I'd have to give the award and slight edge to Micah Parsons. But it's been close because Miles Garrett, he just won the game against, you know, the Baltimore Ravens where he had the strip sack fumble return for a touchdown where he did everything by himself on that one play. I mean, he has been amazing. Micah Parsons is amazing. I'd be fine with either of them winning Defensive Player of the Year. Now, number one seed in the AFC, it's New England. In the NFC, it's Green Bay. Higher likelihood to win that number one. I'm going with the Patriots. Why? They have a tough game against the Colts. So I could realistically see them losing this game. 
But then after that, they got the Bills. I just saw them beat the Bills like two weeks ago. I'm not going to forget about that. And forget about the fact that it was in Buffalo, in snowy conditions. And the Patriots did that. This time the rematch is going to be in New England. Okay, I'm rolling with New England that game. Then they finish against the Jags and the Dolphins. I mean, at best, they can be 13-4. at four. At worst, they can do be 12-5. and five. Then I look at the teams behind them. Tennessee has been shaky. No Derrick Henry. They have the Steelers, 49ers still on their schedule. They could lose one more of those. Kansas City has the Chargers, the Steelers, the Bengals. Those are tough right there at Benham themselves. So those are the two teams right there with New England. And New England has an easier schedule. So I think New England has a higher likelihood to win out. They have been playing great football as of recently. Just got off their bye week. Whereas Green Bay has Baltimore coming up. That'll be tough if Lamar Jackson is in. They got the Browns a Saturday game. Who knows what happens Christmas Day. Wonky things happen. Then they got the Vikings again. So that's a tough stretch for the Packers. But it's not just the Packers, but the teams right there, namely the Bucks, have an easier schedule. The Saints, Panthers, Jets, Panthers. I expect the Bucks to win out. So if Green Bay slips once, that opens the door for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to have the one seed right there. So I do think New England ends up with the one seed, but I do not think Green Bay ends up with the one seed. I think they get the two or the three. Tampa Bay gets the one. Uh, Green Bay will get the two if Arizona loses the game, but they'll get the three if Arizona wins out. And who knows if they do that, because Cardinals also have not the easiest schedule remaining. Now, are there any teams outside the playoffs at the moment that can make it in, that can just sneak in? In the AFC... I'm going no. Nada, not one, no faith in any of them that are outside to make the playoffs. You've got the Jets, Texans, and Jags eliminated. Don't have to worry about them. These are a couple teams that are not eliminated, but I'll just eliminate them. Las Vegas, Pittsburgh, Denver. By default, I know Miami's playing hot, and I think, you know, they'll finish uh, with... A record of eight and nine, nine and eight, that ain't gonna make the playoffs. So you got really, I think Chargers are, are in, they're at eight and five, they lose one, they're still six. So you got really four teams right there for two spots. That's the Indianapolis Colts, the Buffalo Bills, those are the two in, and then the two out, Cleveland and Cincinnati. I think Indianapolis gets in. They do have a tough schedule. I know they play the Patriots. And then the Cardinals, the last two games to me are automatics. Raiders, Jags. I think they steal one against the Patriots or the Cardinals. Back-to-back Sunday night games. I see them stealing one. Buffalo. Again, as I said, they got the Patriots. But other than that, it's easy money. The Panthers, the Falcons, the Jets. They can do that. So I look at both teams and it's, it's not difficult. And then the teams that are... Behind them have to win out, but the teams ahead have to lose a game as well. The Browns, Raiders, that's no guarantee. And the Browns are decimated by COVID right now. 
The Packers, that's no guarantee. The Steelers, you beat the Steelers like two, two times last year. Two out of three, unheard of. You lose already this year. That's always a tough game. And you got the Bengals. I know you whooped up on them earlier in the year. But who knows what Bengals team, what Browns team shows up at the last game of the season. And then Cincinnati, like I said, they effectively play one another. So at the end of the season. So to me, that game's an end breaker right there for them. And then if you're the Bengals, you still play the Ravens and the Chiefs. So not easy sledding at all. So because of that, I do think the AFC holds pat except for some uh, seeding changes. I don't think any teams outside of the AFC make the playoffs as it stands right now. What about the NFC? That's more unpredictable. You have a core five right there uh, between Green Bay, Tampa Bay, Arizona, Dallas, Los Angeles. Now you're looking at the teams on the outside. San Francisco. I think they're they're locked in. I really do. I look at their schedule. I see the Falcons and the Texans. That gets them to nine wins. The Titans and Rams. They've been very good against the Rams. And I think they can beat the Titans. I think the 49ers do get in. And I think they do get the sixth seed there. So then you're really left with one playoff spot. And you're fighting. You know, you got Washington, Minnesota, Philadelphia. I'm going to rule out Atlanta because the way I've seen them play and they play the Bills and the 49ers and teams, I think they'll lose those two. They're out at nine losses. New Orleans, I also think they're out. They play the uh, Bucks this week. They lose that. I'm going to kiss them goodbye. Uh, Carolina is out. Giants, they're 4-9. Chicago's 4-9. They're technically not out, but I'll throw them out. Detroit's eliminated. That leaves me with two teams I think can realistically make it. That's Minnesota and Seattle to overtake Washington spot. Who will it be? I think my money, if I had to, if I was a betting person, I will put it on Minnesota. Two of their games are against the Bears. That gets them to 8-7. and seven. Then they just have to steal one against the Rams or the Packers uh, because they own the tiebreaker over the Seahawks. So the Seahawks... I think can steal a win against the Rams if all the Rams players that are on the COVID list stay on the COVID list. Uh, That'll be a very entertaining game to watch. See if Russell Wilson uh, can continue his two-game stretch. Rashad Penny and them can go into Los Angeles and beat them. Because then after that, to me, you got two automatics. The Bears and the Lions, which then would set up a pivotal showdown against the Cardinals. But the Vikings would have to lose those two in the middle to the Rams and the Packers for the Seahawks to make it. They can't focus all on that. They can't focus on the Cardinals at the end of the season or even the Bears or Lions. It's just the Rams and beating them. Because I think if they improve to 6-8 and eight, facing the Cardinals, they will be 8-8. Eight and eight. This is the biggest swing game here for the Seahawks. I said they were dead in the water a few weeks ago. To me, it still kind of feels that way, but there's a little bit of hope there for Seattle. What will they do the final games? It is going to be a fun stretch for the end of this NFL season. In the end game, four games left. How exciting it will be to see what teams make it, the playoff positioning, the playoff games and such. 
I am ready for it. What a game, what a season this has been, and what the finish it will be. Now moving to the NHL. I'm going to give you my top five teams right now in the NHL. Number five, the Minnesota Wild. Yes, they're on a two-game losing streak, but that's why they're not any higher. They've scored the second most goals in a league before their two-game losing streak. They won eight in a row, which pushed them to 10-2 and two at home. As I said, second most goals scored, 39 points. Best in the West. Best in the West, not just in their central division, but best in the Western Conference. One of the best teams overall. They have been on a tear recently and a real contender now and to me have looked like the top dog in the central now watch out Colorado is coming up you got St. Louis which is tough but Minnesota has proved strong through the first quarter of the season hats off to Minnesota number four number four the Florida Panthers two-game losing streak have been a little inconsistent but they've also scored a ton of goals this year, 103. They're at 40 points in a tough division in the Atlantic. Sergei Bobrovsky, best year as a Florida Panther, and it couldn't have come at a better time. Florida Panthers were number one in my rankings last week. They've dropped to number four, but don't I wouldn't worry too much about them, except if a playoffs were to end today because they play Tampa Bay. But Florida is a good team. Number three. The Tampa Bay Lightning, speak of the devil, some things that can never die, it seems like, is the regular season Tampa Bay Lightning. No Kucherov. Oh, reminds me of last year. Also, no point. That's interesting. And, you know, Yanni Gord got selected by the Kraken. So, like, three of your best players last year are not playing. And you somehow have won seven of your last ten games. You're at 40 points. You're right there in the thick of it as one of the best teams. They just do it every year. I'm going to give tip my hat off to John Cooper, head coach, Vasilevsky, the goaltender for being the constant there in the net. Tampa Bay weathering all these injuries and still, and still being one of the best teams in the NHL. Number two, the Washington Capitals. Number one team in the Metro. Another thing that seems to always be present. 40 points, 17, 5, and 6. Again, I can't say anything more than Alexander Ovechkin and the 44 points that he's put up uh, so far this season, which is number three. And just one point below, Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid, Forget about the guys you know that are 10 years younger than you. Uh, the great eight is still doing it at 36 years old. Has been on a tear, you know, number two in goals, you know, number three in plus minus uh, assists. This guy has been great this year, carrying the load for the Washington Capitals. Number one, the Toronto. Maple Leafs. Yes, they are number one. They have the most points in the league. They are the only team with 20 wins in the league as well. They have won seven of their past 10. A big win last night. Uh, 
who they play again? Oh, the Oilers. You know, the young guys over there, the Austin Matthews, the Nylander, got the better of Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, go Toronto. Jack Campbell has been great in net as well for this team. That's why they're number one. So my top five teams are the Minnesota Wild, the Florida Panthers, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Washington Capitals, and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now tonight I'm going to pick one game. That is the Seattle Kraken versus the Anaheim Ducks. Now who expected the Ducks to be this good? I knew they were going to be improved this year, had a good draft class. But number one in the Pacific at the moment? Who would have thought that they would be number one in the Pacific and Seattle would be last in the Pacific? A lot of people had Seattle at the four or five spot. I thought they would be last uh, because they're drafted an AHL team. But Anaheim at number one behind Troy Terry, a 2015 draft pick who has 17 goals, leads the team with 28 points. Ryan Getzlav, still kicking it. 19 assists. I mean, the Anaheim Ducks is doing it. And then also goaltender John Gibson has been good as well. He's been healthy. Uh, This Anaheim Ducks team is surprising. Let's see if they keep it up. But I'm picking the Ducks. You've got the worst team in the Pacific. And you've got the best team in the Pacific playing tonight. I'm going with the best team, the Anaheim Ducks. Then college football, today is signing day. I mean, look at that. A lot of flips, a lot of craziness. Race for the number one spot is on. Georgia Bulldogs right there. They got one of the best running backs. Uh, Branson Robinson right now it looks like they could have a number one class, which drops Alabama down, or Texas A&M down. What about Texas? Flipped a defensive end from Michigan. Got a good offensive line. They're moving up. How so? How come the Texas law? It's just a brand. It's just a brand. He just went 5-7. and They're joining the SEC. They're not a good team. I mean, I like Steve Sarkeesian. I picked him more times, and I should have. And they lost a lot of games, but there they are. Kicking it still right there. Another team. My team, the Michigan Wolverines, have moved up months ago. Michigan, they are not going to have a good recruiting class. You've got Ohio State ahead of them. Penn State ahead of them. Michigan State ahead of them. Uh, This team, you know, is down in the dumps. They beat Ohio State and win the Big Ten. And here you are going to have a top 10 class. Wide receiver threats. Uh, Tyler Morris, you flipped... Armoni from Notre Dame as well. So you've got great wide receivers coming in. To add to what you have, Ronnie Bell coming back, Mike Saren still, Cornelius Johnson, you're adding to that. Then I think the defensive back class, which will be young, but Ron Bellamy has been great. They're getting cornerbacks. Daxton Hill will be gone. Brad Hawkins, you know, Vincent Gray. You're going to have to replace them. You got William Johnson, one of the best cornerbacks. Then what you do, you flip safeties, Zeke Barry and Cody Jones from Clemson. I mean, Barry is a Jabril Peppers type guy. You got tight end, 
uh, Marlon Klein, you've got one of the best quarterbacks, Jaden uh, from California. This Michigan draft class is, or signing class, is doing it. We'll see what happens the rest of the day. But what uh, signing day this has been so far. Because of that, you've got Texas A&M Isaiah Spiller saying he's going to go to the draft. Deion Sanders, head coach of Jackson State, FCS school, flipped the number two overall pick, Travis Hunter, from Florida State. Florida State, you know, a national recognized school, to Jackson State, where you won't even get a chance to be in a playoff or a nationally televised game. Congratulations to Deion Sanders for pulling off that heist. That's another in-game reference. That's time heist. How did he do that? Uh, Jackson State. Congratulations to Deion Sanders. Just for that move alone, you should win Coach of the Year. Congratulations to you guys. Then, last but not least, college basketball. Another upset yesterday. Alabama moves up in the rankings to number six after they beat Gonzaga. What do they do with that ranking? Well, they decide to lose by 14 to the Memphis Grizzlies in a game they were dominated. Dominated. DeAndre Williams, 20 points, uh, 6 of 6. Jalen Duran, 6 rebounds. I mean, the Memphis Grizzlies are a team that's going to be there at the tournament the end of the year. And there they were last night, put on a show against Alabama at home. I mean, what a crazy basketball, college basketball season. It has been, hopefully there's no upsets tonight. You've got two undefeated teams playing tonight. Arizona, UC, USC, playing two low schools, Northern Colorado and UC Irvine. I don't see any upsets in the work there. UCLA plays Alabama State. You just never know. So that's college basketball. This has been Get Your Goat, folks. Talk to you all tomorrow. Hope you all have a great Wednesday. Bye, everybody.